Amen. Very good. Let's take the Word of God uh, this uh, morning still in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to thank you for your attention and uh, you've been encouragement to me and I appreciate being able to fellowship with some of you and I thank the Lord for this. I do want to say this, these messages that I give and especially right now, I do believe that the fear of God, as Spurgeon said, removes us from all lesser fears. We may have the fear of, as I'm going to preach on this afternoon, making shipwreck of your soul. But the fear of God, uh, I am in an area, Urbana, Ohio, someone asked me, where is that? Well, it's hard to find, but it's there. And we're in a rural area, but uh, a lot of farming in our area, uh, just great people, love the Lord. But they are people who love their guns, let me tell you that, all right? They love their firearms, and uh, I do too as well. In fact, I've got to know some of the police officers in our, our area on good terms, all right, all good. But, uh, um, but like when I do a funeral, they, man, the police officers are there and they take you through town. It's really great and we try to honor them. But a police officer told uh, the funeral director that I work closely with in our town, uh, I was doing a funeral one day and he said, Pastor, did you hear what happened in town? I said, no. He said, well, I'm telling you, this is the truth. He said, there was a police officer and... Um, he was kind of clocking in town, and there was a, a woman driving a Cadillac, and she was just speeding through town. And so the police officer pulled her over, and of course he ran her plate so he could find, I mean, here's a 90-something-year-old lady, she's speeding through town, and uh, he noticed that she did have a concealed carry license. So he was just kind of laughing about this a little bit. He came up to the door or to the window, and um, he said, ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? And she said, no, I don't. And uh, she said something along the line, Sonny, I'm always in a hurry, you know, like that. And uh, he said, well, ma'am, I see that you're concealed carry. Do you have a firearm on you today? And he said the lady reached over into her purse and pulled out a 38 Special and just kind of flashed it in front of him. And he was just kind of surprised. And before he could say anything else, she reached underneath the seat and pulled out a 45 Automatic. And then before he could say anything else, she reached in the glove box and brought out a 9mm. And the, the police officer looked at her and said, man, what in the world do you have to be afraid of? And she looked down at the 45 and the 9 Miller and 38 Special and said, not a thing in this world, you know? <laughs> and so, but I have tried to find that lady and get her in my church, you know, because she would be quite interesting. But, uh, but when we think about fear, I, I tell you, there are times when I fear as I'm going to talk about making shipwreck of my soul. But I do believe that the fear of God relieves us from all lesser fears. Living in the fear of God. And um, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I pray that we would have that fear of God, the proper reverence of God and who He is. But this afternoon, I want to take just a short time and I, want to, I pray God will use this, but making shipwreck of your soul. Back in first century A.D., probably the worst catastrophe that one could encounter was a shipwreck. In fact, we understand that Paul, in writing this letter to Timothy, he had just experienced shipwreck three years before the writing of this. So here is a man who understands shipwreck. And by the way, oceans and seas are marked with shipwrecks. There are shipwrecks all over the great oceans of our land. Many of them have not been found, but let me say this to you. The greatest of shipwrecks are the shipwrecks of lives. The greatest. 
Now, I want to say this before I begin. We do know that God is in the business of restoring people's lives. We understand that. And in fact, David understood something about God restoring his soul. And God can take a life that even has been shipwrecked, and God can restore it and bless it. But men, may God help us to see the ingredients in His Word that we would not suffer shipwreck. And by the way, there are men greater than us, far better Christians than us, that have made shipwreck of their lives. Maybe me and you would never be involved in a shipwreck on sea, but the possibility of us making shipwreck of our lives are very possible. That should drive us to the presence of our Savior. We should draw near to Him and seek His strength and seek His wisdom. May God help us today that making shipwreck of your soul. First Timothy chapter 1, let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I love that. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, but rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor wherever they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Verse number 19, the Bible says, they put away faith, put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Let's begin and let's ask God for His blessing. Father in heaven, these men have been so gracious and Lord, they've listened so well. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us at this hour 
and that You would deal with our hearts. I pray You'd speak to me. And I pray You'd give us understanding of the Scriptures. And Father, convict us, but comfort us, and to bring us to the place, Lord, that we would just be conformed to Your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This after this morning, how do we make shipwreck of our soul? I'm going to give you three simple things I pray that God would use. Number one, you will make shipwreck when you drift off course. Now, I believe that God puts us on path, the right path. In fact, as we think about the path that God puts us on, by the way, all of us this morning, you are on a path. You're either on a path of obedience to God or a path of disobedience to God. You're on a path of dependence on the Lord or dependence on self. In fact, we think about things in life about paths and how did that person get to that place in their life? How did they get there? Well, look what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 6. Notice what it says. It says, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. The Bible uses the word they just swerved. Sometimes we look at a life that has been shipwrecked and we think it was some catastrophic event that brought them to that place. But I am here to tell you that often it is slight swervings in life that bring shipwreck. It is just the simple little things, little decisions that we make, little uh, uh, rationalizing our sin, little areas in life where we are swerving. Uh, they just swerved here. There was just a slight swerve in their life. In fact, recently in our area, uh, we were heading to church one Sunday night and we came upon a terrible accident we learned later that it was a young man, probably in 18, 19 years of age, and um, he was driving down the road, and there was a, just a two-lane, just, um, you know, traffic going, and he was on his cell phone. He was looking at a text, and in that moment, he swerved just a few feet and hit a car head-on and took his life immediately. In fact, they tell us that the, if you're going the speed of 55 miles an hour, and you grab your phone to look at a text, the time that it takes to read that text going 55 miles an hour, you will go the distance of a football field without having your eyes on the road. You know what? Just a moment. We've all done it, have we not? We've been distracted for just a, a moment. Uh, my kids, when they were in the small in the back seat, you know, I'm looking in the rearview mirror and dealing with something, and I'm not paying attention in front of me. You know, so often in life, shipwrecks come from just slight swervings in life. We've just got off the path just a little bit. We have taken the wrong turn just in one area. And that's where God wants us to come back to the beginning. He wants us to deal with areas in life that we are not holding true to. Sins that we are covering and concealing in our life. Men, Psalm 17.5 says, Hold up my goings in thy paths that my footsteps slip not. Psalm 23, 3, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Psalm 27, 11, Teach me Thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Psalm 119, verse 35, Make me to go in the path of Thy commandments, for therein do I delight. And Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. And verse 18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So we are all on a path today. And let me ask you a question. Are you swerving off the path that God has put you on? 
In fact, there is no telling where the path of disobedience will take you. There's no way to know where that path will end, but it is guaranteed to take you further into sin and further away from God's blessing than you could ever imagine. We see here that these men, especially Hymenaeus and Alexander, that they began to swerve. There was just a slight swerving in their life. And by the way, sometimes it may not seem so wrong to just take a step in the wrong direction. Just a small step in the wrong direction. But remember, you're just one step from a long, long path of disobedience to God and rebellion against God. By the way, all of us need to understand that it is possible for shipwreck. I, I, I would encourage you, Jim Shetler's book, I think it was on your book table at the Victory Conference on victory. And that book is great. I enjoyed reading it. And one part of that book, he talked about imagining your fall. And I'll tell you this, I have tried to imagine what it would be like for me to have to come and talk to my wife and tell her that I had been unfaithful to her. I've tried to imagine what it would be like to do that and to see her countenance and to see the lack of um, the broken trust and uh, the loss and the heartache. I've tried to imagine what it would be like to sit down with my children and to have to say to them, kids, dad can't be in the ministry anymore. Dad has done this. I have fallen in this way. I have tried to imagine. I've tried to imagine going before my deacons telling them. I've tried to imagine it. And I think that it is good for us to think about the path that we could be on one day. By the way, I, when I was in college and even in high school, I worked on a bus route. And uh, it's wonderful to reach people. But you know what? Sometimes you can be on those bus routes and you can see the very end of where sin led to in people's lives. You can see kind of what it spit out. You can see the end result of sin and heartache and all of that. Well, here are these men that Bible says they begin with a swerving in their life. Now, by the way, as we think of this swerving, uh, better Christians than you and I have swerved. And we need to remember 1 Corinthians 10, 12 that says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I don't think that we should live daily in the, the, uh, the discouraged state, but daily with dependence upon the Lord. Lord, I cannot live a victorious life without You. We are looking, as I talked about, to the faithful one. We are trusting and depending upon Him. Are you swerving this morning? Have you become careless in your prayer life? Have you become careless in what you're viewing? Have we allowed things that years ago we would have never allowed, but we are allowing them now? I've met men before and talked to them and they say, well, I'm a man and I'm married and I can handle certain things. They're swerving. They're excusing sin. They're rationalizing things in their life. In fact, the Puritans used to compare a small sins to like baby snakes. In fact, they're small but they're deadly and if you let them live, can I tell you, they will grow into huge serpents. I heard the story years ago of a family and uh, how that they were, they just loved snakes. I don't know why anybody would like snakes. I'll just tell you that right now, all right? And um, I, I'll tell you, I hate them. I, I, I know there's supposedly good snakes out there, but uh, God cursed them in the garden, and that's what I think, all right? So I, I remember one time driving down the road, my wife was expecting her first child, and there was a snake crawling across the road. And, man, if you're in a car, what do you do? You run over the snake, you know? And I ran over it. I looked in my rearview mirror, and it was just a country road. Nobody was coming. And that snake was still alive. So what do you do? You back up, back over the snake, you know? 
And, um, and it was still not dead. And my wife was like, honey, I'm hungry. Let's go eat. I said, honey, I got to take care of this right now. This is like serious business. And by that time, that snake had coiled up and it was like ready to strike my car. And I was like, all right, man, it's me or you. So I positioned both tires over that snake and I heard this explosion. Because it had cooled up, it exploded everywhere. Then I had snake guts all over the car. It was a great day, you know. But anyway, you know, my wife was about to throw up because she was expecting, you know. But anyway, um, I heard about a family that had a baby boa constrictor. Now, why they would have that? But it was small. It was a little pet. And they would take it out, and it would kind of coil up and even restrict. But it was so small, it would do no damage. They loved that little thing, but it got bigger and it got bigger and bigger, and finally one night it got out of its cage and killed one of their smallest babies. Can I tell you something? That's what we do with sin. We kind of play with it a little bit. It's cute in some ways. We can handle it. We think. We can deal with it. We can rationalize it, but we're swerving and we're heading for shipwreck. In fact, look in verse number 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 once again and notice something that we can find about our swerving. It says, from which some having swerved, look at this, and turned, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Now, it's not a word that we would use much today, but vain jangling means empty noise. There's no depth to it. Beautiful words, flowery language. They know how to talk and act like a Christian. They know how to talk like a spiritually minded man, but it's vain jangling. And let me ask you this. Have we just been reduced to empty noise? Are we able to talk it, but it's not real in our heart because we are drifting off course. We're just drifting a little bit in life. May God help us that we are not drifting. And that's why a men's retreat like this is so helpful because it awakens us to things in our life. It brings things to light to say, God, I need to deal with this and I need to correct this now in my life. Look back in verse number 5 and notice what it says. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Man, it always begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. You see, the Lord, is He wants your heart. And drifting or swerving begins in our heart. By the way, we are drifting when we allow sin to go unchallenged in our lives. We are swerving when we seek to rationalize our sinfulness or a backslidden condition. If you're on a path of disobedience, can I tell you something? You can get on the right path. What, what is wonderful is that, men, we can come to a retreat like this and be away from God or things not right in our life and you can leave the retreat in, in, in harmony and union with the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that your heart is where it needs to be. I am thankful I can look back over my life and there were times when I knew I was drifting. And by the way, sometimes I didn't even know I was drifting. But God allowed things into my life in His love and in His mercy. Often He allows trials and often He allows things to awaken us as we are drifting off course. You will make shipwreck if you drift off course. Number two, you will make shipwreck when you defile your conscience. Now let's go back in our passage in verse number 5 once again. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. Look what it says in verse number 19. Holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Now what is a conscience? By the way, a good conscience is a 
clean conscience. We should not soil our conscience. I'm thankful I've graduated from Bible college, but I am told that even years later, there have been graduates that have wrote back or called back to the college to confess that they cheated on a test or they were not honest that they read through the New Testament or the Old Testament. They were dishonest. And can I tell you what they wanted to do? They wanted to make that right with God because they did not have a good conscience. Now let's think about this word conscience. By the way, our conscience, every person has a conscience, whether they are saved or unsaved. It is a God-given gift, really. The conscience entreats us to do what we believe is right and restrains us from doing what we believe is wrong. But please understand, the conscience, we can never associate the conscience with the voice of God because the conscience is not always infallible. By the way, I heard this story back in 1992 in Rapid City, North or South Dakota. There was a man by the name of Dennis Curtis who, who was a thief that was arrested for all kinds of robberies and things that had done had been found in that area but they found a little piece of paper that he had put in his wallet and here was his moral of code or conduct or his conscience about robbing and here's what he wrote he says I will not kill anyone unless I have to that that's encouraging you know so he said I will take cash no checks I will rob only at night I will not wear a mask I will not rob many marts or 7-eleven stores if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If I get chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. I will rob only seven months out of the year. That's pretty courteous. And then I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Now that was that man's kind of code of conduct. In a sense, that was his conscience that was very flawed. His conscience that, hey, I feel good about what I am doing because... I have some kind of code. And let me say this to you. When we defile our conscience, I'm going to tell you, we are heading for shipwreck. Your conscience is so very important, but we must understand um, our conscience. We can never trust our conscience or let our conscience be our guide. We need to let the Holy Spirit be our guide. Our conscience should be captive by the Word of God. Martin Luther said this. He said, my conscience is captive by the Word of God. So what is it? Well, I put down that our conscience is like the alarm clock of our soul. It goes off when we break our standard of right and wrong. But notice the conscience can be silenced, just like an alarm clock can be silenced. Alarm clock goes off when it has been taught that, hey, here's the time. The conscience is like the policeman of the soul. He blows the whistle when you have broken a law. But the police officer does not, inf- does not make the law. He simply enforces the law. And you see, when we defile our conscience, we pollute our conscience. We contaminate our conscience. Our conscience should be founded on the purity of truth and not to be defiled by error. Tim, Titus chapter 1, verse 15 says, Under the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. I have the privilege of doing a a Bible club in a public school and the Lord has just really opened the door for us to do that. They allow me to come in at lunchtime and literally hold a Bible club. It's just been amazing what God has done. And um, last Friday, of course not yesterday, but the week before, I preached on gender. 
And boy, you talk about a pretty amazing thing for a lot of those young people to understand that God says there's male and female and how that really going against gender is just rebellion against God. And young people came to me afterwards talking to me about transgender and talking to me about homosexuality. And, and it is just amazing. I grew up in a home where I was taught the truth of God's Word. And my conscience is very prone to, hey, that is wrong, but I have been taught God's Word. These young people, they know nothing of that. They have been taught this. I mean, it's on the, on the cartoons and throughout their, the, uh, you know, the shows that they're watching. It is normalized. And men, may I say to you, that is what Satan wants to do to us in sin. He normalizes sin. He desensitizes us to sin. He weakens our conscience. But when we are getting God's Word in our heart, and the Word of God is teaching us and kind of training our conscience, then our conscience will be pure in what it needs to be. So we will make shipwreck when we defile our conscience. By the way, I had the privilege this past summer to go to Alaska and to be able to preach at a camp. It was just great. I mean, it was horrible as far as the accommodations. No electricity, no running water, uh, but I loved it. And getting to preach to um, Eskimo young people, it was just, uh, it was just great. And, uh, but while I was there, they were talking to me about the bears. That was encouraging. I was staying in a tent, you know, in the woods. And so they were talking to me about the bears. And many of those men had been chased and hunted by bears. And it was just crazy to really talk to them about it. But they talked about how different things about the bear and, and, um, and how they have to be alert for it. Many of them had dogs that would alert them to the presence of a bear. Reminds me of the story about an old prospector who was prospecting for gold and he was in the woods and he had a dog that was tied up outside one night. And he was tired, he was weary, he was discouraged, he had not done well in his prospecting and all of a sudden the dog began to dark and he, uh, bark and he came out, it was dark outside and he told the dog to be quiet. The dog quieted down. The dog began to bark a little bit later, he came out and he kicked the dog. He said, be quiet. And another time it happened, the dog barked and he came out and kicked the dog harder until finally he silenced the dog until later on, the men that the dog was trying to warn him of came and killed that prospector. Can I tell you what some Christians have done to their conscience? They've kicked it to death. They've silenced their conscience. And, a, and by the way, sin hardens our conscience. And to where things that we once used to, I would never do that, and I would never allow that into my eye gate or ear gate, now we are defiling our conscience. And men, let me tell you something, when we get into God's Word, God's Word awakens our conscience. It brings it to the right truth. And we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And the truth helps us uh, to know the right path that we should be on. Men, may God help us that we do not allow our conscience to be defiled. I'm reminded of 2 Peter chapter 2, where Lot, you know the Bible says what he did. Uh, he, it says, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what Lot did? Lot allowed his conscience to be so defiled that he seared his conscience. I mean, he burned it. I mean, all the things that Lot saw. I think when Lot came into that area, he thought, this is unbelievable. I cannot believe that men are doing what they are doing. But it Day after day, day after day, he vexed it to the problem where he defiled his conscience. Some Christians today are allowing words, thoughts, movies, videos, music, and entertainment in their lives that would have bothered their conscience years ago, but now they've defiled it too much. 
They've allowed too much into their life. Uh, by the way, please do not let your conscience be your guide. Let the Holy Spirit be our guide. But we must exercise our conscience. Our conscience is like the muscle and our conscience has to be informed by the Word of God or the verdicts that our conscience renders will be wrong. May God help us that we are alive to God's Word. And God's Word is in our heart and mind, exposing ourselves to the preaching of God's Word, the memorization of God's Word, so that when we see or hear something that dishonors God and His Word, immediately our conscience is pricked. And we choose the path of righteousness. Men, you will make shipwreck if you simply drift off course. You will make shipwreck if you defile your conscience. By the way, have you wondered sometimes, why did that preacher leave the ministry? Why did that husband commit that affair? Why did that teen get off track? I'll tell you why. Because they drifted off course and they began to defile their conscience and then they made shipwreck. Oh, may God deliver us. By the way, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look verse number 10. Here is what we need at the very end of this verse. It says, and if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. Can I tell you what you need in order to stay on course and not to defile your conscience? You need the sound doctrine of God's Word. We need His Word abiding in our hearts and abiding in His presence. Number three, the last thing uh, this morning. You will make shipwreck when you defile your conscience, when you drift off course. But number three, when you depart from faith. Now let's go back to our passage and look at verse number 19. It says, holding faith. And a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Now let me say this to you. Something happened to the faith of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Oh no, they did not lose their salvation. But let me say this to you. They made shipwreck because they did not hold faith. You see, the, I believe that the most important thing about the child of God is his or her faith. And what is our faith? Our faith is looking unto Jesus. In fact, we know that that verse means looking away, looking away from everything else and looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We know that the Word of God, that the Bible talks about, that His Word builds our faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm reminded of Acts chapter number 20. In fact, my life verse is Acts 20, 24. But in Acts chapter 20, you know what I find? I find a a portion of Scripture here that God talks about building, how that He builds our lives. And, and uh, Paul talked about that He commended them to God and the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Men, we must be built up on our faith. And our faith is so important. Our faith is what we believe to be true concerning God. And by the way, our faith is having the right attitude toward God. Believing the right things, it is that believing in His character, that He is holy, He is righteous, He is perfect. I, I went through a time in Bible college when I was um, working a job and my dad had purchased um, a three little small homes. We call them shotgun homes in Tennessee. They were just small little homes. And we were going to tear down the middle home and fix up the other two homes and sell them. And my dad one day said, son, can you get some guys from college that want to do a little demolition work. Well, guys love to destroy things, you know? And uh, so I found some guys that uh, wanted to tear apart this house and all that. And my dad gave us clear instructions on how to do certain things. And, and we don't just, you know, hit the foundation. We've got to do it in a right way. 
And my dad clearly told all of us, do not get underneath this house. It had a, a basement, a crawl space, basically, but the very foundation of the home was a slab of concrete. Never had really seen anything like that, but you could get underneath there. I don't know how it happened. I don't know this today what happened, but there was a young man by the name of Troy. Troy had played football for LSU, and he, God had saved him. He had come to Bible college, and he was going to be a missionary and serve the Lord. He was engaged to a, a godly young lady, and they were going to go out and serve the Lord. He was my good friend. And Troy was a big strapping guy, and he was kind of, uh, he loved his strength, and he was truly strong. And we don't know what happened, but somehow Troy found a way to get underneath that house, and he had a sledgehammer, and he hit something. And the whole house came down upon him. I'll never forget, his brother-in-law was just a few feet from him. We were in another house uh, working on it, painting. And he began to scream and holler. And we came and we could not get the concrete off of his body. We just couldn't do it. It was just impossible. We called 911. It seemed just like moments that they were there. And obviously they had the right tool to be able to lift that concrete off his body. And I stood right there when they drug his lifeless body from underneath that house. And I, I, was, I was in a bad place. I remember going to the hospital and the doctor came out and told my dad and I, I'm sorry, but he's dead. He's gone. And you talk about a time of my faith. I, I, why? Why did God allow that? What, why did that happen? I mean, he's going to serve the Lord. He's going to be a missionary and my good friend. And I felt to blame. And then the guilt. I remember that I spent the next few days in a place to where I thought, I'm not going to make it. And you talk about the accusations from the devil and you talk about the doubt and all of the, the unbelief that was coming to my heart and mind. And I'll tell you, I struggled. And to this day, can I just be honest with you, I, I think all of us have unsolved mysteries in life that, you know, I heard someone tell me years ago, well, one day you'll understand. Well, I don't find that in the Bible because there are some things in life I don't understand. But there are things that we must come to the place to where we lay at the feet of the Lord and we say, God, I don't understand this. I don't have a reason for this. But I'm going to trust you that you make no mistake. But I remember in my bedroom wrestling with God and thinking, man, I don't understand. Where was God in the midst of all this? And the doubt and the despair that I came into until finally I had to hold faith because I was getting ready to make shipwreck. And men, let me say this to you. Some of you have gone through things in life that you don't understand. And it seems as if maybe God is not fair and God is not just. But we must put up the shield of faith. Above all that the Bible says, putting up the shield of faith that we may quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And let me tell you something. The devil throws his fiery darts. And he is good with his fiery darts. He is good at where he places the arrow. He knows the right dart to use in your life. And he knows the right dart to use in my life. The doubts that come to us. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Now the faith is not something that we accomplish on our own. It is taking God at His word. It is placing our soul's confidence in the character of God that He makes no mistakes, that He is perfect, He is just, He is fair, He is good, He is holy, and that God loves me. That's what we must rest in. And by the way, when I study the Bible, that's where I come. The, my faith grows through God's word. My faith comes by just obeying God and knowing that... I don't understand it all, but I'm trusting God. By the way, man, when we are living a life of unbelief, let me tell you this, you will always reach the wrong conclusions about life. 
When I live a life of unbelief, do you know what? My conclusions are wrong. My conclusions about my wife, my conclusions about my children, my conclusions about my church, my conclusions about everything in life. When I'm living a life of unbelief, you see, I must hold faith, the faith in God, the faith that Jesus Christ loves me, He has accepted me, He is working all things together for my good. He has a purpose and a plan behind all of this. That is our faith. And by the way, the just shall live by His faith. Men today, may God help us. I don't want you to make shipwreck of your life. I do not want to make shipwreck of my life. But if we are drifting today, you're drifting off course. Sometimes my wife has said, honey, you're drifting while I'm driving. And I'm thankful for that. Because I'm drifting. I need to stay the course. And by the way, Jesus is the only one who helps us stay the course. But if today you have defiled your conscience with seeing and hearing as Lot did, and you're allowing things in your eye gate and ear gate that you would have never allowed, can I tell you something? Let your conscience be captive to the Word of God. Don't soil your conscience. Have a good conscience that is void of offense toward God and toward man. But today are you departing from faith? The devil attacks our faith. Listen, he targets our faith. He wants us to think that there is something wrong with God. And may God help us today that we grow in our faith. Are you making shipwreck of your soul? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I, I thank you for these men. and Lord, you know the details of their life. And I pray that you will help us now in this moment. Lord, I pray that we will not make shipwreck. I don't want to make shipwreck. Lord, I pray you'd help us if we are in any area that we're drifting, we're defiling, we're departing, that today would be the day that we would just come and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and cleansing. Help me. 